is first Peter thank you just wanted to check and I would like for us to deal with a passage in first Peter today which some describe as being difficult and controversial however that's not true as you see the text it is neither difficult nor controversial in fact it's crystal clear it's God's design for marriage now the reason why we say it is difficult and controversial is that it shows us how far we have drifted from it and so this text is not one so much that we evaluate the text evaluates us and it is really if we're honest reflecting back to us a terrible drift from basic mooring points with regard to husband and wife roles in marriage and because we have drifted so far from God's standard this is a tough pill to swallow you will find as I do even as we go through it all kinds of questions pop into our minds and so we essentially say I see this but what about I see this however it's impractical I can understand this it's clear but it surely doesn't apply and if you're um, coming up with any of those things as I do that's a mirror showing us how much we have been influenced by the surrounding culture and how much we even we have departed from God's standard so if we're honest I think we'll have to admit there's nothing controversial difficult or confusing about this text you'll see it is crystal clear then the issue becomes will I accept it will I defer to the father or will I do things my way so keeping that in mind take a look at first Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 1 notice how it begins in the same way so when you read that you back up and you think about the context what has preceded it otherwise the phrase makes no sense what has come before and brother Chuck did a great job in helping us to see the primary theme of what's come before it has to do with subjection and submission to governmental authorities um, to employers or in that day to masters etc that being the context Peter simply continues and says now in the same way so he's continuing the theme of showing deference one to the other but here he applies it to marriage look in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands I have to tell you just that phrase stirs up more uh, strong feeling uh, more dismissal of the scriptures as being relevant many would say this is archaic this doesn't apply this is out of touch this is in bygone days this is perhaps one of the most politically incorrect declarations in all of scripture wives here's your role be submissive to your own husband can I ask you to hang in there and be asking yourself the question but doesn't father know best 
I know what the surrounding culture is about. I'm influenced by it just as you. But is this our highest authority or not? If it is, uh, strike from the record all of your resistance and opposition and don't miss the forest for the trees. There's nothing difficult about this. This is what it says. It's a very clear statement. Uh, it says, wives, here's your role. Be submissive to all men. Thank you. Someone recognized that as being inaccurate. Do you notice? To your own husbands. To your own husbands. This is not a general, generic statement about how a woman should position herself in life. This is a very precise, bounded, and limited declaration. When it comes to marriage, wives, here's your role. Be submissive to your own husband. Why? So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word. Now that's interesting because one of the things, ladies, I'm sure that's popped into your mind, it's popped into mind is we read the statement, wives submit, but then you say, don't you hear yourself saying, but wait, what if the one you're telling me to submit to is an ungodly husband? What if he is living in a way that is discrepant from the word of God? What if he is disobedient to God? Surely then this does not apply to me. Submitting to a husband simply means submitting to the husband who's doing all things well, who's living in harmony with God. No, no. Ladies, this is saying, don't complicate it. This is saying, if you're married, ladies, if you're a married woman, here is your clear, precise, and definable role. Submit to your husbands, even to an unbelieving husband. Yeah, even to a husband on the run from God. Why? So that if any are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. This is not a guarantee that if you, a wife, do the right thing, your husband will give the right response. That is not a guarantee. This is simply saying, if you do the right thing, you will create an atmosphere at home more conducive for the softening of his heart rather than the hardening of his heart. So there may be in the softening of his heart the possibility, the greater possibility, that he will respond rightly to God and then as a byproduct to you. And so it says, if you're living with this one who's disobedient to the word, you want to live in such a submissive manner so that he may be one even without a word. Does that mean you don't say anything? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean you don't share the things of Christ? You don't expose him to the gospel? No, it doesn't mean any of that. It means you have to discern when continuing to do so will no longer be profitable. In other words, if you're continuing to lecture and to preach, it's come to be nagging. And if it looks like the effect is to harden rather than to soften him, you might be better to cease the lecturing and live with a submissive spirit so that even without a word, he has to see your behavior. He may deny your words. He may debate what you have to say but he cannot dismiss the way you live right. now look 
even as your human nature is summoning up resistance, because that's the way it is, ask yourself the question, but doesn't Father know best? I know all kinds of questions are going through your mind, but, 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 but please lay that to rest for a second. And the real issue for you is, but God, aren't you good? Would you require something of me that isn't good? And ladies, this is a requirement. It has the force of commandment. It's in the imperative mood in the original language. It is not a suggestion. In other words, this is to be taken like any commandment. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt be submissive to your husband. Could it be that a good God would require something of you ladies that he doesn't intend to use for good? What could be good about you submitting even at home to a man who's disobedient to God? Well, let's throw, throw this out. You may be laboring under the misconception that the purpose of marriage is to be happy. That can't be right. The purpose of marriage is not for you to have all your needs met by any other human being, including your husband. That is not the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage is growth. The purpose of marriage is not to have children. Uh, some couples can't have children. Does that invalidate their marriage? The purpose of marriage is not to have a friend. You could have a friend without being married. The purpose of marriage is growth as it pertains to eternity. In fact, there isn't even marriage in heaven. It's the precursor to us being members of heaven culture. And there's no institution like marriage. There's no human relationship on earth that has the potential to produce more growth than marriage if you stay in it. How does a woman grow in a marriage like this? She's not actually submitting to her husband as if she's, as if she's confident in his leadership. No. She's submitting to the will of God to work through her husband, even if he is not responsive to her. She's submitting to God who will take care of her needs. This has nothing to do with marriage if you think about it. In this case, wives, it has to do with the fact Will you trust God? Will you trust his paradigm for marriage? Or will you say it applies to everyone but there's an exception in my marriage? Will you be so arrogant as to say your way doesn't work as good as my way? Can you see what's at stake here it has really nothing to do with you and your husband. It has everything to do with you and your heavenly husband. He said to you, do this. And when you do it, you say, God, I lack understanding. I don't understand it. I do it because I trust you. That's what's in view. And then it says in verse 2, live in such a manner so that as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Chaste meaning sexually pure. So we're adults. So let me be uh, up front. Um, 
The ladies, if your needs are not being met by your husband, needs for intimacy and for affection and for protection and for your well-being, um, you're going to be more vulnerable to an extramarital affair. In fact, men and women, generally the allure of an extramarital affair is not physical and sexual to begin with. It's usually the crossing of an emotional line and it becomes sexual. So the lady is living at home and her husband is not meeting her needs. And she happens, she's not planning it, she happens to run into another man. He compliments her. He's simply kind to her. He's simply nice to her. That's all. And things begin to affect her. Uh, she begins to be enlivened. She has feelings now uh, that are being awoken and which have been deadened in the marriage. She's more prone now to cross the physical line. She didn't get in the relationship for that purpose. It was unmet emotional needs that led her there. So let me comment on that. If that's you, you're operating out of legitimate, even God-given emotional needs, but you're seeking to meet your needs illegitimately. Now, society will give you justification for it. Society will give you permission to do it. But if Father knows best, I have to cry out to him and I have to say, Oh God, I ache. My heart is broken. My needs are not being met even by my own husband. But, oh God, I will not seek to meet these needs outside of your will. As much as you hurt, there's never justification for doing that which God says is sin. It is not acceptable. I Isn't it a shame we have to repeat this? It's not acceptable for us to have a sexual relationship before or outside of marriage. It's nothing to do with some archaic point of view. Doesn't Father knows, know best? Doesn't he know what works transculturally, regardless of time and age and all? It's not a matter of an ancient teaching. Isn't God right on time? Doesn't he know what works? Hasn't he designed male-female relationships? I know society has a different point of view on this, but, but we don't submit to societal value systems. Is the Bible or is it not the authority from which we take our marching orders? If so, even though I can't fully wrap my arms around 1 Peter 3, it's irrelevant. Doesn't Father know best? So it says live in a chaste and respectful behavior. Now look. One of the things that has occurred in our day is an attempt, not so subtle, to make it look like there are no differences between men and women. Uh, that is so not true as to be laughable. We are different. Men and women are wonderfully different. And so one of the differences is this. Husbands have a need which, if unmet, will render them unable to function. And it has nothing to do with sex. It has to do with respect from his wife. Specifically, respect for his competence to lead. If a man is picking up even a subtle message that his wife does not respect his capacity to lead out, 
he will stop leading at home and even be unable to function outside the home. Men are generally uh, larger and stronger than their wives, generally. But men can be brought down in a second if they don't feel they have their wives' respect. So that's the operative word and need. And so God knows, live in a chaste and respectful manner. Because a man can't, look, you're pulling out of the driveway. You and your husband are in the car. He's in the driver's seat. You're sitting alongside him. You're going from point A to point B. He turns left. You say, ladies, why did you turn left? Why didn't you turn right? If you keep doing that, I'm going to tell you what he's going to do. He's going to say, well, why don't you drive? And then you're going to get what you think you want. You're going to get the driver's seat. But let me tell you something. You're not made for it. Now, that's not very politically correct, but it is biblically correct. You're not designed to be in the driver's seat. You're designed to be hugged and loved and provided for and led. A better thing to do. Well, let me illustrate. I was uh, a long time ago stationed in England uh, in the military. And I developed a relationship with a rector and his wife. And a rector is in this true Linda is like a pastor in the Church of England. And the Church of England generally stinks. <laughs> However, theologically, this church did not. This rector was quite conservative and evangelical, and we developed a friendship. I was a single military guy, and I would visit their unbelievably beautiful church, 12th century, a stone church in which was a magnificent pipe organ and we would worship and then they would have me frequently stay for lunch. I was glad to do so. I was a single guy in the barracks and this was called food. <laughs> Not chow hall food, like real human food. And so uh, I would stay over. So one day we're eating lunch together and the rector, pastor and his wife were having a discussion and he is uh, talking about a plan he had for the youth group in the church. And his wife said, I disagree. I don't think that makes sense at all. I don't think it will work. Well, I'm not thinking anything. I'm barely listening. I am just stuffing it in because i got to go back to the barracks here pretty soon. Well, I'm out there later on in their uh, garden. And uh, the lady comes to me and she said, Stuart, uh, could I have a moment of your time? I need to ask your forgiveness. I didn't know what she was getting at. She said, my attitude at the lunch table was something uh, I don't want you to think is a good model. What do you mean, said I? She said, well, when my husband advanced his plan, I stated publicly my disagreement. I showed disrespect to his leadership. And I said, well, wait just a second. To be frank with you, since you're being honest with me, I think you had a better idea. I think his was off the wall. <laughs> she said to me, oh, I know that. <laughs> she said, I just know I have to encourage him in taking the lead or I'll end up cutting my own throat. And I said, how do you do this, though, when you know your husband, your leader, is, uh, is wrong? 
she said, I think God is big enough to correct him, to change his mind, and in the process, to protect me. Wow, I learned a lot. Ladies, this is your role. Nothing else matters. I know there are all kinds of mitigating circumstances which come to your mind, but what about, but what about? Take it up with the author of the text. He said, let me uncomplicate your life because you're probably overwhelmed by what's happening at home. You're thinking about his dysfunctional family background and he's thinking about yours and all this kind of stuff. And that's okay if you want to develop insight, but you're still left with the obligation of occupying your God-given roles. And this is the one for the wife. Be submissive to your own husbands. That's what it says. Verse 3 your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Now, this is not saying women don't look good. All the rest of us men, we are so grateful uh, that you do the best you can with what you got. Because we all know that overnight, somehow, a woman deteriorates. And so when she gets up in the morning, we're just thrilled. You just do that makeup thing. Thank you. So this is not a prohibition on looking good. Some faith groups take it to be so, and so they practice a very simple... Um, one might say unfashionable kind of dress, the, and they're, they're free to do so, but they can't attach it to this text. This text is simply saying this. Do not be excessively focused on what is outside. Why? Because it doesn't have an imperishable quality. We get old, don't we? Yeah. Color of hair changes. Skin gets different. You don't want to get too close to home. But, um, you know, it's the way it is. Th these vessels are not fit for eternity. We, we must have different kinds of vessels to carry us around, glorified bodies. These are constantly in a state of um, decay. That's the, the way it is. And so God simply says it's a practical point of view. Don't, he's saying this to ladies, don't make an undue investment in your appearance. Make an investment. Just don't be excessively. You are not what you look like. In fact, the essence of the person is really what's on the inside. Uh, really, the essence of the Christian life is not what's happening on the outside in appearances. It's development of Christ-like character and qualities on the inside. God looks to this because these have an imperishable uh, a quality. So you notice this exhortation is given to women. Why? Because once again, there are differences between men and women. And generally speaking, it's women who would be more prone to be excessively concerned about the way they look. I know this is true because at home, my wife is always saying things like, you don't really care the way you look, do you? Going out like that. So I know it's biblical. And, and I tell her... I, 
Actually, I don't. I mean, it's my day off. I'm going to Lowe's. You don't have to wear a tuxedo <laughs> to walk the aisles of Lowe's. And I don't really care what people think about it. And she says, yeah, but the way you look reflects on me. Wow. wow. So, so I know uh, why this text uh, focuses on women, because generally speaking, they are going to be more concerned about outward uh, appearances than the than the average guy is. And so um, the development of the inner personal heart is what is at stake. So let's say you're in a challenging marital relationship. Look, if what's happening at home is good, good. If what's happening at home is not good, also good. Why? Because you're now being presented with an opportunity to develop uh, the inner person of the heart, and that will carry on in eternity. So what happens is not the issue. How you respond to what happens is the issue. So when there's unhappiness in the relationship, do you say, oh God, I know if left to myself how I would approach it. Instead, I believe you know best, I'll do it according to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm not entrusting myself to my husband who's proven himself to be untrustworthy, but I am entrusting myself to you and your design for marriage. You see what's at stake here? And then someone could cry out to Peter, Peter, you're a guy. You don't know what you're talking about. Do you really believe this will work? And so Peter says, yeah, let me give you an example. Verse 5. For in this way in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God, women who put their trust not in their husbands but in God, they used to adorn themselves. How? Externally? No, being submissive to their own husbands. How about a more precise example, Peter? Okay, just as Sarah, verse 6, obeyed, Abraham, calling him Lord. Not that she literally went around calling him Lord. No, she showed deference to his leadership. She honored and respected his position. And you have become her children, literally. No, not biologically. You don't emanate from Sarah. But in a spiritual sense, you have a connection to her if you do what is right. Notice, without being frightened by any fear. Isn't God good? He knows about the hesitation, ladies, in your life with regard to submission to your husband's leadership. You don't want to be hurt. He's proven himself at times to be untrustworthy, not to have your best interests at heart. You're frightened, therefore, about making yourself vulnerable to more hurt. But God addressed it. No, no, do what is right. What's right? Well, we've been given it in First Peter 3. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Do what is right without being frightened by any fear. But then you say, but if I do this and make myself vulnerable to him, who will? And then you stop in your own thought process and you know, you will protect me. You will take care of me. Ladies, I want to tell you something. Before you became your husband's wife. And even now that you are your husband's wife, that is not your primary identity. Your primary identity 
is that you are your heavenly father's daughter. He's entrusted you to this husband. And this husband will have to give an account for how he cared for you. Let your father take care of things. So I'll tell you what usually happens, and this is normal. If you're a lady in a distressing marital situation, you're trying really, really hard to bring about change in your husband's life. Stop it. It will not work. God, therefore, has clarified your role. He's simply saying, let me be the change agent. Petition me. Cry out to me. And I want you to be the one who manifests with a submissive spirit and the development of the quiet person of the heart, your utmost confidence in me, through which your husband's hardened heart may be softened. Well, verses 1 to 6, and boy, am I tempted to stop here. <laughs> However, there's a problem. It's called verse 7. So we have just seen about the wife's role, and look what it says in verse, heavens, verse 7. You husbands in the same way. Now that's the second time we read the phrase in the same way in this text. It opened the passage, didn't it, in verse 1. In the same way wives uh, submit to your husbands. Now it's saying, and in the same way you husbands. Why? Uh, Brother Chuck shared with us last week the text in Ephesians 5 to show us Paul's words there are exactly consistent with Peter's words here. And in those words, do you remember Brother Chuck said, start at the right place, start at Ephesians 5, verse 21, which says, live in subjection to one another. Then it says, wives, this is how you submit to your husband, and husbands, this is how you submit to your wives. But we show deference to one another. Wives, you show deference to your husband by showing him respect. Husbands, you show deference to your wives by loving her as Christ loved the church. Whoa. Whoa. Now, why does it define things differently? Uh, wives submit husbands' love, and I'll tell you why. As the guy's number one need in marriage is to have his wife's respect, the wife's number one need in marriage is to have her husband's love even when she doesn't look good, even when she's moody, even when she's irritable. Her number one need is to have her husband's love. She doesn't want to be talked out of her feelings. She surely doesn't want to be lectured. She wants to be hugged. And in so doing, the husband is saying, you're fine with me just the way you are. Isn't that how Christ loved the church? Don't you hear him saying that to you when you're at your worst? Isn't your heavenly husband at his best? Now I can hear the husband saying, wait just a second, Stuart. You don't know what you're talking about. Marriage is supposed to be 50-50. She's not giving me what I want. I'm not going to give her what I want. No, marriage is not 50-50. Don't you see how we've been affected by the world's conception? Guys, marriage, biblical marriage, is 100% to zero you being the 100% giver. I want to ask you a question. When Jesus saved you, 
what is the percentage of contribution you made to your salvation? Zero. Just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And did he shed it when you were at your best? No. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this doesn't say when your wife get it, gets it together, when she gives you what you want, then you love her? No. It's saying husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. It's an in spite of love. Who has the tallest order? The first six verses put quite a burden on the wife. I understand that, but I think the greater burden's on the husband. Can you show me a wife who wouldn't have an easier time submitting if her husband loved her? You know what the ideal for marriage is? Unconditional submission by the wife to unconditional love by the husband. This is no permission for dictatorial uh, authoritarianism on the husband's part, my way or the highway. You don't know what you're talking about if you think that's what the Bible is saying. What if the Lord Jesus said that to you? Does he impose his physical stature and prowess upon you? No, like a shepherd he leads. My sheep hear my voice and they come. So the man who's pushing his wife, forcing his wife, you don't know what you're talking about. You woo her. You do not intimidate her. You husbands, in the same way, live with your, live with your wives. You know what that's saying? By implication, don't live with someone who's not your wife. Isn't it a shame that we have to repeat that? I know politicians, clergymen, and everybody else, famous people, are always having these affairs which are becoming less and less scandalous. They're becoming normative. I mean, people say, I made a mistake, and they stay in elected office. Come on. It's not a mistake. They, in so many words, spat in God's face. And they said, though you made me who I am created me and are the creator, I don't care. I'm doing my own thing. That's not a mistake. That's a sheer and utter illustration of sinful rebellion against the creator. Live with your wives. You know what that means? Don't divorce her. Look. I know all kinds of thoughts are going through your mind and I know divorce has bitten uh, some in this room. I know, I know, I know. But I still think we have to say what this says. No, you live with her. How? In an understanding way. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. Guys, our number one responsibility is to know our wives, her needs, how she hurts, what she needs, why, so we could better love her. That's why. Why does it say this to men and the other thing to women? Women, don't be excessively concerned about your appearance. Husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. I'll tell you why. Because men, most of us um, put more attention on issues outside the ho home than in the home. Why? It's easier. So hunting, fishing, golfing, working. Perfectly acceptable things, just like a lady looking good is acceptable can become so excessively a compulsion for the man that he's so distracted from the home front, 
His wife feels like she's not even known. He doesn't know how she hurts. He doesn't know what she needs. This doesn't mean stop hunting, stop fishing, stop working. Please don't misunderstand. It just means be careful not to be so excessively uh, focusing your attention on that which is external to the home front, that you're essentially living under the same roof with a total stranger. Do you know you can be divorced yet still married? Do you know the word divorce in the original language means a sending away? It has nothing to do with visiting an attorney's office. That's just American idea of what divorce is. Do you know, men, you may already have divorced your wife even though you're still living together? You may have emotionally sent her away. When God says he hates divorce, that's the word he's using. You might say, I'm not divorcing her. Yeah, you did. You sent her away. So this is saying, no, no, no. Live with her in an understanding way. Look, as with someone weaker, oh boy. I mean the modern point of view just will choke on that. The insinuation that a woman is weaker than, I mean, everyone, I, mean, I don't understand why women are trying so hard to be like men. I don't get it. Folks, do I have to prove to you that women are different than men generally speaking is this a crazy statement am i not right generally speaking women are physically weaker than men generally speaking see see so that's why you have the wnba and the nba and they don't merge cuz as athletic are the women who play in the wnba they'd get slaughtered in the nba there's a difference. This is saying, man, treat her like a flower who is delicate. Don't slap her on the back. She's not your hunting buddy. Don't speak to her as you would a guy. Guys don't go deep about anything. Guys hunt and fish and work. That's what guys do. Guys tell jokes and all the rest. No, live with your wife in an understanding way. She's weaker, as if she's an, a delicate flower. Listen. Get to know her hurt heart. See what her needs are. But then the guy might have a tendency to say, you know what, she is weaker than me. Therefore, she's inferior to me. And so because God is real, real smart, he anticipates that. And so look what he says. And show her honor as a weaker, inferior person? No, as a fellow heir of the grace of life. You know what God is saying? You are my son. You're an heir of eternal life. But she is no less my daughter and an heir of eternal life. Once again, you know what God is saying? She's not so much your wife as she is my daughter. You better take care of her. Do you know what it says in that Ephesians 5 text? Guys, it says one day we're going to have to give an account for how we cared for our wife who happens to be God's daughter first. So Ephesians 5 says we're supposed to present her uh, to the Father without spot or wrinkle. 
In other words, when we turn her back to her father, we're supposed to be doing so in better shape than when he gave her to us. I don't want to be answerable to my wife's father. He's really big. My salvation is secure, but I expect for him to say, tell me how you took care of my daughter. Oh, well, I... I worked real hard. I know, I understand that. Well, I provided, I put food on the table, really good. And in the meantime, you left her emotionally undernourished. <sighs> Fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that your prayers will not be hindered. Now look at the connection established between horizontal marital relationships and vertical relationship with God. Here's what some guys do. We hear about these horror stories in churches from time to time. A man is an usher in the church, a greeter, a deacon, a pastor, a teacher, or whatever. And he looks really good in all those roles. And he's abusing his wife at home, or he has a lady on the side, or he's ignoring his wife. I don't know, something like that. Because he is deceiving himself into thinking. <laughs> One doesn't affect the other. He thinks... Her father can be mocked. Even though others in the church can be fooled, we're not the FBI. We don't know what goes on when you go home. Sure, someone could look good, I, any of us, and yet who knows what's going on on the home front. I'll tell you who, God does. And so he, if he, he's saying, guys, if you're not living with your wife, a delicate flower, knowing her more and more each day in an understanding manner, as a weaker vessel, sure, but as a fellow heir of the grace of life, if you're not doing that, your prayers will be hindered. You know what her father is saying? Your wife's father is saying, how dare you think you can walk into my throne room and call upon me with impunity when you are not caring for my daughter. Can you see it? Now folks, this is a tough load. Well, it's nothing more than a call to be like Christ. In fact, that again is the purpose of marriage, for us to develop Christ-like behavior. That is the number one purpose of marriage. It's not anything else. So if you don't have the things you think you ought to have in marriage, your marriage is not a failure. It's only a failure if you fail to see its design is to produce Christ-like behavior. What an opportunity to develop the Christ-like behavior of patience and forgiveness and mercy and unconditional love and this marvelous message I love from Christ and you do too. I will never leave you or forsake you. <clears throat> Christ-like behavior. It's not a suggestion, 1 Peter 3, 1-7. It has the force of command. Great. How could it be that God would command us to do that which we are not capable of doing? What a cruel God he would be. Do you think he's like that? Can't be. So wives and husbands, and I'm one of those, here are the two questions we have to ask. It's not, when will my husband change? When will my wife be different? 
It's this. God, are you not sovereign? And God, are you not good? Those are the two questions. God, nothing in my marriage, which has surprised me, has surprised you. You saw all this. Are you not sovereign? And God, if you allowed it to happen, are you not good? Can you not use this for the good? What am I to do? 1 Peter 3, 1-7. It's not controversial. It's not difficult. You don't have to know Greek. It's there. The difficulty is, will I trust God to do things his way? You know what helps? Has doing things your way worked? Let me answer for you. Not even close. Why not try God's way? What do you got to lose? I'm telling you, Father knows best. The purpose of life is not to be healthy. God never promised it. It's not to be wealthy. It is definitely not to be happy. Do you think the cross made Jesus happy? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That doesn't sound like happy to me. The purpose of life is growth so as to be more Christ-like. The purpose of life is to develop on the inside because that kind of growth has the character of an imperishable quality which cannot ever fade. That's the purpose of life. Therefore, nothing coming your way is unfortunate. Everything is an opportunity. Everything is an opportunity to cry for sure. To cry out to God. To cling to him. To depend on him. And to say, what would you have me do? Everything is a contest. Do you trust yourself or you, do you trust your Savior? No in between. Well, it's really been a pleasure knowing you. <laughs> Next week, if you show up, we'll take a look at verse 8. Lord willing. Lord Jesus, we shouldn't, we shouldn't use that term unless we mean it right. Lord that means master. <laughs> that means the option we think we have to question you and disobey you is not an option at all, is it? Lord. But you're not just Lord. That alone could scare us. You're also so good. Your intentions toward us are kind. I think we need not look further than the cross. Wow. If you did not spare your own son, how will you not with him also freely give us all things we need? And Lord, that you've given us, First Peter 3, tells us you really care about how we live, don't you? That's so good. You're not off somewhere. Oh, no. 
You're Emmanuel, God with us, even in an unhappy marriage. What a testimony it would be, O oh God, if we did things according to First Peter 3 style. What glory you might receive in otherwise unhappy marriages, unfortunate marriages. Uh, Lord, we don't have answers to all kinds of stuff, but we do see this text clearly. Would you put it within us to trust you and do, simply do, what you quite clearly and simply tell us to do. Father, we declare, we believe you know best. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you, folks.